Okay, well, hello everyone. Thanks again so much for joining us here in this special uh, bonus. I guess maybe you don't see it so much as a bonus, but uh, an additional podcast here for week four. Um, we're building from the topics on week four, um, given the fact that we weren't uh, able to get to some important things in class last week. Um, and I will try to keep this short because I, I know um, you only have so much time and I, and I want you to listen to the podcast for week five, which will also be coming out um, soon. So I'm going to just, and, and given I said, if you've done the reading um, and you've taken a look at the notes I've distributed, I think that gives you a, a pretty firm foundation as well as our excellent student presentation um, last week to, to build upon. So I will try to keep this short and just emphasize a, a few important things. And one is this um, kind of ongoing interplay of the physical um, or material reality of colonial governance and, and the expressions of dominance and power um, that it involved in colonial governments, governance with um, what we would often consider more ideological factors in terms of shaping the narrative that seek to describe and legitimate um, the colonial system and the imposition of colonial rule in Korea, right? And, and importantly, to see the interactions between these two. Um, if you remember all the way back, I know it seems so long ago now, to week one, uh, we talked about you know, emphasizing material versus ideological factors in terms of understanding the flows and process of history. And of course, as is often the case, it's very often um, a matter of both, right? And here in, in our approach to understanding the era of colonial rule in Korea, both um, as it was implemented by the Japanese authorities and it was, um, you know, Koreans responded to it in a variety of different ways and, and had a large um, ongoing debate and discourse over what it meant to exist under the Japanese colonial system, uh, we can see this interaction of material conditions and ideology, right? And another theme that I wanted to highlight that is um, um, gone over in the notes, and in a broad way, I mean, of course, this first period in of the colonial era from 1910 to 1919 um, is known in Korea as uh, Amhuki, which is, as stated in the notes, the dark period. I mean, this, and this ties to, I think, where a lot of these factors come together. So that's going to be kind of the main point I'm going to try to make um, before uh, leaving you to your weekend and whatever else you have going on. And what we see during this period is, is, is an aspect of colonial rule that it's a feature in, in all places that have experienced and, and in all societies that have attempted to implement some sort of colonial system of domination or control uh, is that um, the colony is by and large viewed in terms of its ability to serve um, the central government. And, and that might seem um, kind of obvious maybe, but I think it's important to think about um, understanding the ebbs and flows and the changes that take place during um, this 35-year period of Japanese colonial rule in Korea and how Japanese authorities um, viewed the colonial um, Korea as a colonial territory and what it could or should provide um, the Japanese empire and the central government in Tokyo uh, would affect the nature of governance um, and how governance was carried out uh, within the colonial system. And so that, that helps to kind of give us an idea for how things and, and changed and, and for what reason. And particularly during this first period, um, Korea was largely seen as a site of extraction, right? Um, primarily agricultural, perhaps um, a, a little bit less so minerals and, and other natural resources, but primarily agriculture and rice. 
um, especially. Um, Japan was experiencing, as we mentioned over the previous decades, a rapid urbanization,、um, which will lead to an expanding population.、Um, and this is very, you know, kind of base human stuff, but, you know, more people, more concentrated people, less people doing farming.、Um, and you need more food to supply to this urban workforce. And in that way, Korea could, was seen as an important. Um, asset um, above, above and beyond anything else. And also,、uh, it, this was tied to, in that sense,、um, seeing Korea as a, a site to kind of control and to、um, uh, coerce, right? Coercion and, and extraction is the theme I have in the notes. And, and, and in a sense, that、um, it, there wasn't any notion of trying to.、Um, Develop Korea as a you know, integrated into Japan in any sort of meaningful sense, but actually to kind of again repress and control the population, intimidate the population, and、um, extract resources from Korea, right? And, and send them back to Japan for、um, the increasing development of. Um, urban industrial society within Japan, right? And, this, and we can see this play out in a whole host of, of areas, right?、Um, notably, as mentioned in the notes,、um, there was the very、um, despised company law that、um, really limited the ability for Koreans to participate in any meaningful way in the economy. There w a s laws restricting the ability for Koreans to have、um, any sort of significant role in the、um, government general, in the Japanese colonial government system. Right? And there was also,、um, at more of a、um, ground or street level, a very,、um, you know, for the time, quite sophisticated and quite、um, aggressive and violent system of、um, control and domination at, at the street level, often carried out by the police, who basically were given almost unlimited authority to decide and carry out.、Um, Kind of instant justice, which could involve beatings, whippings,、um, and all sorts of very、um, violent forms of intimidation. And, and these sorts of practices are not simply about controlling the person、uh, who is on the receiving end of, of such acts, but also、um, perhaps even more importantly, from the eyes of, 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 of attempting to control a population, to send messages to others, right? And so、um, often these were carried out in very public、um, and very Uh, um, visible ways as a message to others about、um, the, you know, the danger of transgressing the very tight restrictions on colonial policy.、Um, there w a s severe、uh, restrictions, as we mentioned, on a whole host of activities、um, that Koreans could undertake, not just in business and government,、um, but in terms of、um, where they could go, what they could do. Um, there w a s、uh, you know, efforts to try to have the um, um, children in school. Uh, um, you know, controlling the curriculum、uh, was, was largely the,、um, the colonial government had pretty much full control of the education system and the curriculum and was able to utilize that to begin its mission of also instituting a set of ideological principles within、um, Korean society at this time、um, that were amenable or at least. The government,、um, the, the government general、um, thought were amenable to its interests. And that is again where we can see these material and ideological factors come together.、Um, there's a few quotations、uh, in the notes that I gave you. And one of them is、uh, from Schmidt.、Uh, you can look, it's in a gray box. I believe that's on page six. 
And it says one of colonials one of colonialism's most powerful ways of dominating Korea was controlling the ways that the Korean past could be mobilized for political purposes. Right. And this is something that really brings together so many things we've talked about over the first few weeks of the course. Again, even going back to week one, that history is on one level trying to understand and accurately recount the past um, to the best degree possible and, and in some ways weave together a narrative of the past that tells us what has happened. But it also is political in the sense that history is not one thing and that people try to mobilize, as Schmidt says, mobilize history for politics and that a lot of the original run of what we would consider more kind of quote-unquote modern kind of academic history um, on Korea was done by the Japanese colonial authorities. And that was a history that was obviously created to fit their political purposes that told of, you know, the Korean people as, uh, you know, um, losing their way, not, not able to civilize, not be able to become civilized as a society that has been in kind of stasis and has no ability to progress. And, and in that narrative, um, able to present the colonial regime as the kind of savior, as this, this entity that's going to come in and um, uplift the Korean people. And this obviously, because of the unique nature of um, Korea and Japan's long-standing set of relations and um, close um, cultural ties um, through shared um, Sino kind of practices um, was weaved into this kind of broader ethno-political narrative where Koreans were this kind of distant cousin of the Japanese people. And in, in, in some ways, um, the colonial project in Korea was about uh, helping this distressed cousin who had gone astray, right, to use the kind of metaphor. And history was a mechanism, and, and the way history was constructed and told was seen as a mechanism for legitimating the colonial regime as an idea. And this will tie into something we're going to talk about um, next week as well, which is this whole dilemma or kind of contradiction of, assimila of assimilation, right, where um, during this period, uh, even though Koreans were technically living in Japan um, due to the annexation um, and were at least officially told that they were Japanese citizens, um, you know, technically the same as others, there were all of these laws and practices and actions would continually reinforce the notion that Koreans were to be um, you know, considered inferior and second-class citizens. And these are the kinds of things that create such um, bitterness in terms of memories. We'll talk more about this over the next several weeks, but we can point out here uh, that already during this first period, we can see in a host of instances where Koreans are um, quite literally become, um, even wealthy and prominent Koreans have become quite literally uh, second-class citizens in their own country, right, in terms of what they could do um, and and also the rights they had in terms of their treatment by the authorities and the police, where, again, the police had basically um, unrestricted authority to decide and carry out justice um, on, on the ground level um, as they saw fit. Increasingly, a lot of these police would be Koreans themselves, which is going to create another series of painful legacies, which is something we will talk more about in the weeks to come. So I know um, there's a lot more I would like to say, but again, I don't want to burden overburden you with um, too many minutes of podcasts here. So hopefully what we can take away from this is that this period was one of, of harsh repression and one that um, involved a very increasingly like vast um, 
bureaucratic apparatus that was the Japanese colonial system, the government general in Korea um, that operated with a large amount of autonomy began to um, uh, come to have ability to reach into and to shape the nature of life in Korea at the most granular level. Um, another example of this, and this is mentioned in the notes, was the large cadastral survey that was carried out where um, the government general went basically bit by bit over every piece of available farming and forestry land in Korea and measured it and created plots and then redistributed land um, based upon its own evaluation. Um, there was, you know, actually some wealthier Koreans tried to, you know, were able to take advantage of this because, again, in pre kind of quote-unquote modern society, a lot of these things were held by customary standards, right? People's land. There wasn't like deeds and like specific lines drawn in the ground. And, and the process of drawing these lines and deciding, you know, um, the, the boundaries of this property is itself a process that allowed the, the colonial government to institute high levels of precise control and, and bureaucratic control that had not existed in even the most powerful governments of the Joseon dynasty, right? And um, this process, you know, this period was one where this kind of large, vast bureaucratic entity, as reflected even in these kind of micro or specific instances of the cadastral survey, um, came to weave its way into all aspects of Korean society and life from, from the village level all the way up to some of the larger cities. And it was one that was rooted in a great deal of violence, intimidation, and repression, um, and ultimately seeking to um, pacify and, and control the Korean population, all the while being able to extract um, resources, particularly agricultural resources, and send them back to Japan. That really is the big characterization, and we can see, and, and, and at the same time, as we mentioned, to institute a set of ideological parameters that justified and legitimated the colonial regime based upon its own um, characterization and creation of Korean history. And by the time we get to this period, and this is what I think will be interesting, because next week we'll begin um, talking about the March 1st movement, uh, in 1919, uh, was that by the time we get to the 1918 or so, many in the government general thought like this, they had set it up. The Koreans were in control. Um, Japan was able to access the resources it wanted. Um, the population had been basically pacified. There was no more active resistance. And, and from the perspective of many in the Japanese government, colonial government general, um, you know, the mission had been accomplished. Um, there were large amounts of uh, private Japanese citizens that were carrying out businesses in colonial Korea, which is another major aspect of this story. Um, and so everything seemed to be going, quote unquote, well from their perspective. And the events of March 1st, 1919, it's, you know, I'm saying this to characterize how much this kind of took um, the government general by shock, by you know how much it shocked them, because they had basically assumed that they had effectively achieved their primary goals vis-a-vis um, -vis, uh, what they were looking for from Korea as a colony. Okay, well, thank you for listening, um, and make sure also to check out the podcast for week five, and I look forward to seeing everyone next week.